everybody. Welcome to The Rabbit Room. I'm Andrew Peterson. Almost everybody's got a good story about the early days in their career, so we thought it would be fun to sit down with some of the Rabbit Room writers and ask them about their very first paying gigs. Randall Goodgame is a singer-songwriter who's put out six solo records. He's also written a lot of songs for people like Cademan's Call, and he's the brains and energy behind Slugs and Bugs and Lullabies. Well, it may sound funny, but I cry The day I found out Schroeder died Little green piano on the floor Won't be making music anymore you know he was the catcher for the team Well, let's see. First time I was paid to do a show. Um, well, up here I was... Uh, a fr- an old friend from college asked me to come do a concert and teach about worship for a church weekend retreat, which is hilarious thinking about it now because I had no idea what worship was about. But here I was supposed to teach a bunch of, like, adults about it. Yeah, so the funny thing was I um, I didn't have any songs about Jesus or the gospel or anything. Um, I was just still writing songs like I had written all growing up. And um, so I was supposed to go teach these adults about worship, which I had no idea what it was about. Of course, I was, you know, 24, so I thought I knew everything that it was about. And... Um, you know, I talked for like 20 minutes to these poor people, and I don't know if they thought, uh, well, I'm sure they just probably thought I was an idiot. So what do you think you said? Do you remember anything about what you told them? Um, I think I probably said things about it not only being for singing, you know, real profound stuff. Mm-hmm. Like you can worship when you're not singing, and that all of life should be worshipful, um, real deep stuff like that could you sum up what you would say now differently oh my goodness um yeah you know i would back it up and really say some of the same some of those same things but i just have a deeper foundation for it now um our pastor as you know talks a lot about how we are the church and i just take that to heart much more now and um i think about myself as a part of the body of christ all the time um, and so, as I go about my day, as as I invite Christ into my everyday moments, um, instead of trying to find ways to worship and then go do those things, I think that just by inviting Christ into the into the moments of my day, I am by the fact of me submitting to Him over and over. That's just worship. And we get to do it in song, in community, on Sundays. But um, for me, the way I understand it is that I'm worshiping my Savior as as I am submitting to Him with my life just day to day. Uh, and you weren't... How old were you when you, st- you took on the position at Midtown as the worship leader? Um, I think I was probably like 32. Two, something like okay, that. Okay, so it was like eight years later probably before you were actually like working as a worship pastor at a church. Yeah. And you did that for how many years? I did it for four years. Four years. And okay, so going back before that then, before you had moved to Nashville, 
Um, uh, what was your very first paying gig like in in the early days of your oh. playing music, like high school kind of stuff? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I well, first of all, I was a lifeguard at the yacht club. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so we made like three fifteen an hour, right? Minimum wage. And um, then uh, I was also a piano player still back then. And I remember going in and asking the manager of the yacht club if I could play piano for their Sunday brunches. So he let me uh, he let me go in and try it out one Sunday. And he was going to pay me ten bucks an hour. Um, wow. So I didn't go lifeguarding that day because I was always lifeguarding on the weekend. So I got there at about you know ten thirty, and I see my buddies over there making three fifteen an hour, and I walk in with my suit and tie, <laughs> and uh, and get there, start playing at eleven, and played through about one thirty, and so in you know two and a half hours made twenty five bucks, which you know would have take would have taken me all day to make uh, as a lifeguard. And so it instilled in me this really warped idea that you could actually make more money as a, as a musician, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, maybe that's now since been debunked in my life. But, um, but yeah, so I would, I would work up Jimmy Buffett tunes and, um, you know, Billy Joel tunes and other like Scott Joplin stuff, piano-sounding things, um, and make them sound real flowery and pretty, and I'd be playing... Pencil thin mustache and Margaritaville, while all the people were eating uh, eating, eating brunch, quiche. Uh, eating their quiche, little blue haired old ladies. Um, Man, that's every great. now and then someone would hear the melody, and we look over and kind of smile and hey, I know that song. So wow. that's my first paying gig. That's a good story. So you were you had didn't you tell me that you had taken lessons from a blind piano player at some point? Oh yeah. Um, some of your the listeners may remember if they're jazz jazz folks, a guy named Manfredo Fest. He was uh, on Concord Jazz for years, and uh, I first heard him play on a cassette tape that our music director at our high school was playing. We were singing along. I was in the choir, and after um, we were learning the song, there was this accompaniment on that was coming through the speakers. And I went and asked my teacher, who is this playing this cassette, on this uh, cassette? And so I got his name from her and ended up calling him and meeting him. I had no idea he was such a stud, but yeah, he was a blind Brazilian jazz pianist that grew grew up um, in concert halls in, uh, in, in Brazil. And uh, all of our lessons we recorded on cassette tape. Um, and that's kind of where I started learning how to improvise and how to do things with my left hand other than just play the octave of the chord I was in. Do hmm. um, you still have those cassette tapes? I do. They're up in the attic, but I, I bet they're just warped beyond playability now because Nashville summers, you know, up in the attic get pretty hot. Wow. I will give you $10 an hour if you let me have some of those tapes. <laughs> I would love to hear those tapes. Yeah, man. It's amazing because you can't hardly understand anything he's saying. Huh. Um, his accent was so thick. He would describe what he was playing, um, and it was never any use for me, so I had to just rewind it over and over and actually try to pick out each little note. Mm. And you know when you're playing those 
um, different inversions of jazz chords. It's really hard, at least for was for me, it probably still would be, to pick out what they're playing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I sat with those cassette tapes and just rewound, and I think about, you know, kids these days with their digital players. And yeah. They just click on where they want to hear. And, um, yeah. So, anyway, yeah, that's how I uh, started taking from Manfredo. Yeah, so um, when I was in college at Birmingham Southern, uh, for my um, for one of my classes, I can't remember which one, um, we were supposed to write a letter to somebody important and uh, ask him something. And so I wrote a letter to Bruce Hornsby and asked him um, if we could talk on the phone, if I could just interview him, ask him questions about his life and uh, I had, you know, as a piano player growing up, I had learned all his songs and his solos. He had influenced my playing. So I wrote a letter to Bruce Hornsby and never figured I'd hear back from him. And then, um, you know, weeks later, I'll never forget my, uh, my roommate comes running down the hall. I was hanging out in some other dorm room. And uh, he's like, Randy, Bruce Hornsby's on the phone. Uh, you know, you busted through the room, and so I come running back into my uh, the dorm room. I pick up the phone, and <laughs> there was Bruce Hornsby. <laughs> so we talked for like 30 minutes. The guy could not have been more awesome and gracious. And um, and then from that point, he gave me his number, and we had about probably half a dozen more conversations over the next six months where I would call him, and sort of I developed a um, a series of assignments that I could use my relationship with Bruce Horns before. So my English professor was uh, pumped for me about it. So he let me write different things about it, keeping on the same topic. Um, and then, uh, you know, as as so often happens in life, you know, eventually uh, I think I took it for granted. So I quit calling him and I realized a few years had passed. I probably couldn't call Bruce Hornsby back anymore. And I've since lost the number. But it was pretty awesome, you know, as a college kid to get a call from one of your musical heroes and uh um yeah i'm glad you asked i'll never forget that was were there any nuggets that you got from your conversations with bruce hornsby that have been helpful now you know um yeah um in one of our conversations um i was telling him about how i was just practicing all the time and um wondering how how much he practiced you know he was such a professional and and uh, I'd seen him play with Bonnie Raitt a couple times, and he was just always on. And uh, he made a point to tell me, he said, you know, quit practicing the piano. He said, if you're working on songs, and um, he had heard some of my songs, and he said, sounds like you got a lot of potential as a songwriter. Um, I would just keep on working on that, because um, there's a million great piano players out there. But... Um, it's the song that people really are drawn to. It's the song that matters. So if you've got a gift for that, keep working at that. And if you happen to be a good piano player on the side, then that's just a bonus. But he said if, if, if he could go back, he'd spend a lot more time digging into great songs and great songwriters and 
uh, growing those sort of creative muscles. Um, not that he regretted his piano skills, but he, uh, it was such a fascinating point for me back then as a college kid, um, especially from this great soloist. Um, you'd think that he would hold that in such high esteem, but no, he was all about the song. Well, I would shed my shirt and tie And make straight for our Kauai Sleepy Sunday afternoons I'd watch my father fall asleep inside the times And I would steal away the This has been episode number 29 of the Rabbit Room Podcast. If you want to know more about the Rabbit Room, please visit rabbitroom.com. If you want to learn about Randall Goodgame, it's randallgoodgame.com and slugsandbugs.com. If you want to learn more about Bruce Hornsby, evidently you can just write him a letter and he will call you. If you want to learn more about Randall's Brazilian piano teacher, then we wish you well. This has been recorded in Nashville, Tennessee at the Beehive. Special thanks to Ben Shive and to our engineer Casey Weber.